Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George, Deacon, President Adam Conk in studio. Good morning. Good day. Good morning. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, good to see you. It's great to see you, Paul. How's, how's life without braces? Still good? I'm living my best life. And I am living up to my promises. What you mean? Well, so I promise this, that, uh, you know, over the past and the last couple of years that I've had braces, uh, my eyes have failed me. They've slowly deteriorated. Okay, I've, I've always been able to see really good, near and far, whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's just been like a, a turn for the worse. But I said this, <laughs> and here was my word. is like, I am not going to have braces and glasses at the same time. Like, you it's know, too I'm not going back to, like, you know... <laughs> being a 13 year old or something i don't know like so i was like as soon as i get my braces off i'm gonna make an eye appointment nice and i did it's today okay yeah after After this after the show i am going to see the eye doctor so i call the eye place i've never i've never had an eye appointment in my life i've never been to the eye oh wow yeah i mean the only time i ever had my eyes this should be an eye opener for you yeah the only (laughs) time i ever had my eyes checked was one when you, when you get your driver's license They're like hey can you see and like yeah and that's been like forever that they've done that mm-hmm. and then i think when like you're a kid in elementary school like you have to do eye tests or something yeah you got to look through a little goggle thing and look for the red born or whatever it something was. yeah that was the only time i've never been to the eye doctor well you're about to be introduced to a whole eye doctor culture that you don't even know about that all of us eye people because so i wear contacts i've been wearing glasses or contacts since i was nine and you know, every year or so, some of us are more faithful than others. You got to go get your, you got to go again. Right. And um, there's a whole culture to it. There's a whole experience. You're gonna get air puffed into your eye. You're gonna get. It's just awesome. Also, optometrists—is that the word? Op- optometrists. They have typically the most soothing voice of any profession I've ever heard. Really. One or two. Great. Yeah. I saw like two. a comedian. He was like <laughs> he was doing this stint on like being at the eye doctor. And he had like had his fingers like really close, like it was the eye doctor's face, you know, yeah. to his eyes. He was like, "Are you looking into my soul?" <laughs> it was like they were just so close. I mean, like to look into someone's eyes, like it's crazy. Well, and for that reason alone, I look forward to eye exams because just the experience of the voice soothing—it's therapeutic, man. I guess I don't know. I'm gonna find out, but I hope so you get I, one. I of those. call like to make the appointment, and then you know, they well, I mean, it's like, well, you know, what do you what do you need? <laughs> So I need I need an eye appointment. Like I don't know. Like what do you mean? What do I need? Mm. She's like, well, what are you coming for? I was like, look, I, I <laughs> let me level. This, with this, you. Is, this is exactly what I said. I was like, I like look, um, I've never had an eye appointment, and I can't see. So you tell me what I need. She's like, okay. Well, it sounds like you need an eye appointment. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. You nailed it. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, the seeing's important. It's yeah. sort of top of the list yeah, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, the the 2,000 years of church history and theology, uh, there's been a lot of reflections, even ancient ones, on sight mm. and comparing our spiritual sight to our physical sight and how when you have impairment in physical sight, that affects you this way, and it's similar in the spiritual life. Mm. Well, because it's, it's our most powerful sense physically. Of all the senses, the five senses, we get the most information from sight. Correct. Yeah. And so um, right. there's always been that that um, analogy with the spiritual life, that these most powerful things in our life, like the sacraments or the 
um, or our intellect, you know, the things that are at the top of the list as far as our powers or God's power in us, if they're not operating correctly, we're no matter what we do, we're going to be impaired, you know? Right. I mean, people even say, like, you eat with your eyes. You know, I mean, mm. like, if, if food looks beautiful, it tastes beautiful. You know, like, you, true. you eat with your eyes. And I do think that that in, in a lot of ways is true. For, for guys, oftentimes, it's not always the case. It's like a big piece of meat. doesn't look pretty, and it's amazing. But... But I, I do get that Jesus talks a lot about seeing. I mean, he I mean he talks a lot. I mean, he heals a lot of blind people. I mean, so seeing's important. But he talks about you know like you, you get a sense of like seeing spiritually, seeing with the heart. Um, you know, he talks about you know seeing a lot. You know, um, yeah. Blessed are they who've never seen and still believe. This idea that that with, within your your heart you can see, have faith. So seeing's a big deal, both physically and spiritually. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I mean, for it. You, I hope you, you have know. a great experience. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do I do I go for glasses, contacts, or just do they just is there a surgery to heal my eyes? I have no idea. It's all on the and table. And look, I'm not going blind. I just can't read. Like I can't see anything <laughs> close. Well, you don't know how blind you're going. You're about to find out. You know what? You know what? <laughs> you're that's, about to find out. That's not funny. <laughs> well, it's true. I remember the first day with glasses, I had no idea that I couldn't see leaves and trees because I saw trees. I was like, oh, that's trees. Everyone sees trees just like I see them. And, and I put on glasses. And every tree was like a winter tree, like <laughs> yeah, no just, leaves on them. It's a green blob, you know? <laughs> and then I put the glasses on, I'm like, wait a minute. There's like specific elements <laughs> yeah. to this tree. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Which is just like spiritual discernment, right? Like, um, okay, I know God's calling me to be a husband, but to really discern what a husband is, you have to be able to see more deeply, hmm. you know, the, the details of it and the um, distinctions of it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm finding that more and more working with people and I, and, and I get a lot of this in my own life, obviously, but like, I think as I get older, I think one of my main missions and hopes for people is, is like with, with the little time that I have is to help people to see, mm, like mm -hmm. to see not only God, but to see themselves for who God made them to be. Yeah. I think so many people like just live in their, in their past. They live in their insecurities. They live in their, just their thoughts, they they the negative thoughts. They live in this just place of, I don't know. And it's like if you could see yourself the way God sees you, you know. And that's what it's been my my life journey is trying to do that in my own life. But, but for example, I was having lunch with a, a young adult guy uh, this week, and uh, you know, he's like trying to figure out like just the dating scene like you know i'm young young man like mm -hmm. you know young to me like 29 28 okay but that like when i was 29 28 i thought i was old right <laughs> but you know not married like working you know just doing the deal the grind um we we're talking i was like you know uh you know what what's it like out there you know trying to discern your vocation and you know date or what, whatever you know i and I just looked at him. I was like, I, I just need you to know something right now. And he's like, well, all right, like we're having lunch. I was like, you you need to know, like, you're you're an amazing man. Like you're gonna you're gonna be an amazing husband and father. Like you need to understand, like who God made you to be and live in that. And he's just like, it just it's like I just dropped the bomb right in the middle of lunch. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I can't walk away from this conversation without telling you who you are so that you can start to see that. And I don't know if he's heard that. 
Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. You know, I, to me, um, I kind of think of it as the forgotten encyclical of Pope Francis. Cause it's, so Pope Benedict started this series of encyclicals on the faith, hope, and charity, right? So his first one was yeah. about charity, then did one about hope, and then it was... caritas est. Right. And when he resigned, he was writing the one on faith. Pope Francis was elected. He takes up what he had written, you know, gives his spin on it or whatever. And, and look, it, when, when popes write these encyclicals, they don't write them in a tunnel or an echo chamber. Right. There's a there's a crew, committee, I mean, that speak into this. Exactly. That they kind of drive it forward, for sure. Right. So his first encyclical was that one on faith. But then the one that was completely him was allowed out to see his second one. Right. That got all the attention as far as like, I don't know. Anyway, point being, people never talk about that first encyclical, but it's wonderful. And the insight, one of the insights in there, faith as sight. There's also one as faith as hearing that is outstanding. Hmm. But to what you just said, faith as sight, the idea that faith is not just a list of doctrines that I keep in my pocket that I check off, yes, I believe, and then when needed, I take it out and I say, yep, see, I believe that too. Right. Faith is a sight to see reality for what it is, and that my vision of God, which is faith, that I can see God through faith, that will be replaced one day with a direct vision in heaven. Right now, I see him through faith. Allows me to see things for what they really are. Like in your example, to see a man, a woman, a person for who they really are as a beloved child of God that God has given a lot of gifts to, that God has provided, that God loves immensely and provided for them a plan for their life. Mm -hmm. That's the truth that only faith allows to be seen. And proclaiming our faith means to proclaim those truths in any of those situations. It's not just proclaiming the doctrines. Hmm. I mean, it is important, right, to say, yes, uh, God became man in the Incarnation, the Blessed Virgin Mary is immaculate conceived. Whenever we need to, we need to take those doctrines out and speak truth into that. But all those doctrines are really just part of our shared vision to speak the truth whenever we need. And this is what prophecy is. It's this ability, because we see God, to speak the truth in any situation. And we can't be afraid of that. Okay. Do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? What's your feeling on cats? Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> Why? Where are you going with this? Because <laughs> I have no idea. So, um, okay. In an airport recently, I don't know if you've seen this. <clears throat> Obviously not. Yeah. Um, in Boston. Okay. Boston Airport. All right. Logan International. Mm-hmm. This month. Well, last month, July. Okay. It's August now. Um, <laughs> there was a cat running around the airport for three weeks and they couldn't get it. Hmm. Now, airports, especially one in Boston, airports have become one of the most secure places on earth. Right. Right. You, and they're, Boston's airport's pretty big. You've been. I've never been. Yeah, it's big. Okay. Big airport. Yeah, Logan International. Um, well, somehow this cat got in and they were just, they couldn't believe with the many crews they had, the many, they just couldn't get the dang thing. They couldn't get it. For three whole weeks. Um, but they finally caught it. Yeah, I don't know how to catch a cat. I, I don't know if you do food. I don't, I don't know. I mean, cat, here's what you need to know about cats. The little that I know is that they're smart. My cats are really intelligent, very instinctual, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, think about this. Like, cats are known for catching mice. I mean, think about how small 
and how fast a mouse is. Yeah. Okay. Now a cat can like stealth mode, hide, sneak, grab, you know, kill it. Not only that, like we lived in a house where we had outdoor cats. They were, you know, just stray cats that Mm -hmm. were there when we bought the house. It was out in the country and some land. And so somebody's like, look, don't get rid of the cats because they like keep the mice out. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Like I I haven't really even thought about that, right? Like I was just going to do mousetraps. I'm like, no, the cats will take care of it for you. And no lie, like every now and then I'd find a dead mouse on my doorstep. Yep. And I was like, that's so weird. And my Paying neighbor, rent. Yeah. yeah, my neighbor was like, yeah, they'll they'll leave it there for you to see that you're, they're doing their job. Like right. they basically <laughs> take the mouse and like drop it at the doorstep. Yeah. That's why we got a cat. We have one uh, for the exact reason. Like I don't think they eat them. I think they just kill them. Correct. You know. Correct. Yeah, we get birds too on our doorstep. Really? Yeah. Well, so what had happened was... What had happened? <laughs> a lady was traveling with this cat, uh, and it got out of its cage. Oh. You, you ever seen those? So it wasn't a stray. It was no, like no, a no. Pet. It was a pet. Wow. Got out of its cage and then just took off, as cats will do, especially in crowded areas, just took off. Because they're scared. And you can imagine the airport, a little cat, like, taking off. It's not wow. like you can run real fast. And it took three weeks to re-catch it. So there was much rejoicing when the lady's pet... Um, was finally found again and they were able to return it. But I just think it's hilarious because having a cat, I know exactly the thing. You know, they, they, they're crafty. They're crafty. They're sneaking. They know how to hide and they don't like crowds. Mm. So I can imagine sounds trying to like catch me. a Yeah, catching a cat in an airport sounds rough. I could be a cat. I just, I'm a little too tall. I'd stick out. Long cat. Yeah. Well, like a tiger. You'd be a tiger. I don't Big know. Cat. Maybe. Yeah. But fierce. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. You can Adam Conk. In studio, great to be with you. Thanks for listening uh, to the show on the podcast. You certainly can share the show on Spotify, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. And thanks to everyone in Acadiana, KLFT Radio, for being a part of the show that we try to do weekly, depending on our schedules. Yeah. We're pretty consistent lately. We are. We are. I got some travel coming up, you know, so we might be like, and you got school starting, and you're president of school. You know, so our, you know, we may have to, you know, like, be a little creative. Trying to brace you, like people. the cat. We got to yeah. be crafty, <laughs> as you said. We do have to be crafty. Yeah, and shout out to our interla- international listeners. I don't know if we give them enough credit, but uh, you know, Australia mm-hmm. and Canada. Yeah, India, um, India. We have some Indian listeners. Yeah, but Australia is the the biggest one as far as outside the U.S. and Canada. I mean, that- Canada. Yeah. Down under. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm wondering this, and maybe if someone's from Australia listening in, maybe you can, I don't know, you know, 
get to us, you can go to like my social media at Paul George II. I don't know, post something, send a message. I don't know how it works. I want to know this. Like when I listen to someone from Australia or England, like they're, I love the accent and I'm like enthralled mm-hmm. and I'll listen. They could be talking about like the garbage truck and I'm like tuned in. Right. Right. Yeah. I wonder if they think the same of us. I highly doubt it. Like if someone in Australia is listening to us talking and they're just like, man, the, like the, the, the accent, the, the English, like, it's just like got me like, in, <laughs> like I can't stop listening just to them talk. Wow. I wonder if it's the same or if they're just like, oh, they sound like idiots, actually. I love their content, but like the way they talk is just horrible. I don't know how they ended up talking like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, d- I would doubt it just because it seems like our accent is a deflated version of theirs, right? But, like we took all the character out of it. But do they think that or like, like what's it like? Like who, hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like You're right. Let's find this out. Like were they the first to come up with English? Like I don't think like. The English people? Yeah, they were. I mean, it kind of came out of like, like the language kind of like came out of other languages. Like it no, just didn't true. like pop out of thin air. You know? Well, from what I'm told, the English accent in England today is a lot different than it was, let's say, at the American Revolution, where people from England actually sounded more like Southern Americans do today. That's what I've been told by people who know better. So, like, talking like this with that Southern draw, right. apparently that's more like what England was like. I mean, our alphabet came more from, like, the Roman, Latin... Right, like mm-hmm. it just didn't pop out as like this English accent, like that's right, Australian accent. Cheerio. Like, <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Like who, who, who's first? Who's better? Not better, but like. Well, I think we need to find this out. Okay, because that's a, I've never thought about that. That's an interesting question. I just, I just want to know. You know, in the first segment, we were talking about seeing and vision, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting because uh, this week we celebrate uh, a saint that a lot of us have heard about. And one that a lot of us have not heard about, but St. John Vianney. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first line, like I'm reading about him, is, is the first line about St. John Vianney, who was alive 1786 to 1859. Okay, so uh says this. He was a man with vision Whoa. who overcame obstacles and uh, performs deeds that seem impossible. Um, St. John Vianney was a man of vision. Let's pause there because there's just something about that accolade that just hits my masculine heart. What is it? Like something about vision. There are very few things you could say about a man that seems more honoring than to say that you're mm. a man of vision. Mm. Yeah. What is it? I mean, you've you've pondered vision a lot. Yeah, and I think it's <laughs> it's not it's uh it's different for everyone, but I think that's true. Like when you read about the prophets in the old testament, like the vision uh, that they had. I mean, it's a spiritual gift for sure. And there's different types of vision. I mean, some people have great vision for like economics and business and some people have vision for, you know, whatever. But I do think it is, it is extremely important that all of us have a sense of vision of where we want our life to go. Right. Mm -hmm. The most important vision like you and I can have is what's the vision for our vocation, right? As a husband and father, where do we want our family to end up? Like, like we got to see it down the road and like create the path there with God's grace. We can't just, we got to know where we're going. Right. And this is what Jesus 
is trying to clear up in the gospels when he talks a lot about vision and seeing like he wants people to see physically and spiritually because vision is extremely important not only vision in the sense of being able to see right now as i read this text but vision to see where i'm god's leading me tomorrow the next day or five years down the road remember years ago we just kind of sat down and said, what's our the vision for our family like where we where do we want to go i had to sit down and say you know what's my vision for as a to lead like as a husband and father so yeah i think you're right saint john vianney had a vision specifically like one of the gifts that he had with his vision was um obviously for his, his faith um i mean he was well known in his work um yeah his vision of the of his vocation i mean he's the patron of parish priests yeah which i mean of all the visions in the church right now, that's an important one. I mean, the vision of fatherhood is very important, but the vision of the priesthood, what is the priest? Super important. And and here, here's an interesting point with vision is like, uh, <clears throat> you're going to have obstacles in vision of, you know, I was talking about how, how I was speaking into this young man that I was meeting with. It's just saying, look, here's the vision of who you are, like mm-hmm. own it, move towards it. There's obstacles in all of us to moving forward in that vision. I mean, we all have our own sinfulness, our brokenness, our woundedness, our blindedness, basically, to see who we really are, where we want to go. And St. John Vianney had a vision of being a priest. I mean, he he had it. Like, it was in his heart. He couldn't get rid of it. And it says his failure to comprehend Latin forced him to discontinue. Yeah. Kicked him out. And it says, but his vision, again, like they use this word, but his vision of being a priest like he just couldn't stop seeing where he was supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. He had obstacles, they kicked him out, he failed. His vision urged him to seek private tutoring, like to do the practical things. And after a lengthy battle with the books, John was ordained. Yeah. Well, and, okay, so context there, when when John was a boy, the French Revolution had decimated the priesthood and France. But we're talking tens of thousands of priests either rejected their priesthood in faith, which is what um, Ors, the city that he was sent as the priest of, that pastor before John Vianney, that's what he did. So he he said, I'll, I'll no longer be a priest or a Catholic, just don't kill me. And he left the priesthood and left the parish. And they didn't have a priest for 10 years before John Vianney got there. So that was that option. Or you were killed and thousands of priests were killed. Or you left the country in exile and and served somewhere else, which was so literally tens of thousands of priests were just done away with in almost a blink of an eye. And when he was a boy, hmm. this is what he saw. And he was given first communion by a heroic priest in the barn of his family house. So his view of the priesthood was a hero, right? The heroic option to wow. stay there, be a priest, minister to the people. And that source of vision for him was so important. And I think, you know, for us, one of the challenges is when we think of these things, husband, father, priest, these vocations, what's our initial formation and what those things are? What's our, who gave us the vision of those things to begin with? And a lot of these saint stories begin with a heroic vision of what it looks like. And I'm sure as he was in seminary and, and 
going through those difficulties, he thought about that heroic priest who risked everything to bring him communion and how he wanted to risk everything for his people as well. But you and I may not have that, like, I, I have met some heroic fathers, for sure, and husbands. I met a few heroic deacons, mainly saints that I'll never meet, but like other in person. And the effect that they'll have on me on, okay, well, what does it mean to be this? is so important. We have to find the heroes. Heroes are important. Right. No, that's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good reminder that, you know, first of all, we need to pray for our priests, you know, who are leading the church, that they just have vision, vision yeah. as as fathers and their vocation to just to lead, to be who they are. And I, I do believe that, like, when we get to a point in our life where we fully understand our identity in Christ as his sons and daughters, and we live and operate in that, and we're we become comfortable in who God created us to be in our own gifts and even in our own weaknesses, that we, we begin to live in a lot more freedom uh, that way, right? Mm-hmm. We begin to operate in a lot of freedom that way. That You know, the best husbands, fathers, mothers I know are just, they're comfortable in their own skin, super faithful. They're not trying to be someone else. The best priests I know are the same, mm-hmm. you know, totally authentic, totally themselves. They know their identity in Christ. Obviously, they do all all the things that that um, you know we all should. You know, prayer, sacraments, all those things are extremely important. Yeah. But but the but the self work for our journey is extremely important because mm-hmm. I believe, at least in my own life, like the times that I have hardest time seeing is when I'm clouded by all the things that keep me from seeing. Yeah, you know my 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 brokenness, my my hurt, my pain. Uh, I'm focused all on that. My my sin, my my past, my regrets. And when I'm talk with people, like that's that's the cloudiness they see, and it's like it's like they can't see past today or or the moment uh, to see fully the life that God has has for them because they can't see who they are in the moment. You know. Well, and so Saint John Vianney brought sight to so many people when he got to ours. People hated the priesthood. They hated the church. I mean, it was not a, a paradise of Catholicism. It wasn't a great time. No. I mean, it was full-fledged post-revolution enlightenment in ours. No one wanted what John Vianney had to say. Nobody did. <laughs> okay? So it's not like he went to this, you know, easy mission. He was given a very difficult mission. Within a few years, he was hearing confessions all day which people were going to. He was teaching children catechism, which people were sending their kids to. And when he tried to retire when he was old and tried to, all right, I'm done, you know, the people said, no, you can't. So they loved him so much. So how did this transformation happen? He was the glasses on their eyes. Mm. He was telling them the truth. He was reminding them who they were. He was telling them about Jesus. He was willing to put in the long hours to do that. Right. And it worked. Well, and that's, that's, our mission as as disciples is to help people see because that's what Jesus did. Like to be a Christian is to be like Christ, to do his work, to be his hands and feet, and to to disciple others the way Jesus did is to help people see who they truly are and to walk the path that Jesus created them to. And the people who have the hardest time for that is that they just can't see the truth. They can't see not only the truth about Jesus, the truth about the church, but the truth about themselves. And they just live in this dysfunction. And it is beautiful to see. Like we can all look back on our 
conversion moment or conversion moments, you know, over time. And I would say like every conversion moment has been a little, a little more glimpse of seeing who I really am and what Mm -hmm. God really wants. It's been clarity of vision. It's been peeling back the, the scales on the eyes, like St. Paul, like it's, it's been all those things. It's all connected back to vision. It, I mean, Mm -hmm. like to see who I am, my heart's beating. It's like, I'm alive, who I am in Christ. That's, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. And St. John Vianney spent his time just being the hands and feet of Christ in a time where people could not see. Yeah. And, and healed them. You know, it's interesting the way you put it just now, because it's, I mean, the end is vision. Literally, our, we were created for the beatific vision. That's what we say, right? Like, in the end, seeing God face to face is why we're created. It's what our hearts want more than anything. Vision is the end. And it's, it's these moments of conversion, these moments of greater vision, where the end just bursts in. And it's, it's the role of the Christian prophet. It's the role of the priest or of the layperson or whoever, whoever can see this vision, whoever sees God in faith whoever is willing to actually see it. It's their role to, it's, to have heaven reach into earth in those moments and to see now what God already sees in heaven and to tell people what the truth is, right. um, even right. if they don't want to hear it, but with love. And so John Vianney had to have very many difficult conversations with people who hated the church, hated the priesthood, hated Jesus. He had to talk gently with them, but in truth, and he, he did it. Right. right, like it worked, um, yeah. I mean, just amazing what he did, and not, not easily. Right, he had to suffer a lot. He had a he had a lot of penance. Um, he's usually shown as a very skinny, almost sunken in old man hmm. because of his hard life. Yeah, to the gospel. Right, but um, he did it. All right, uh, let's see. Do you have a weird Catholic stuff? What? outrageous. No, it's not. You're making it up. I really, I really, really am not. Why are you Catholics just the weirdest people on earth? You tell me. Weird Catholics, stop! Um, what do you got, man? There's no telling. So there's a patron saint of troubled marriages okay. that I've never heard of. Well, I know there's a patron saint just about any and everything. I mm-hmm. mean, there's probably one for beards. All right, that'll be next week. We'll look that up. But I'm I'm staring at your beard, and that's what came to my mind. But okay, so there's no surprises to Catholic uh, patron saint for marriages. But go go on. Well, apparently it's a weird, interesting story as to how Saint Gomaris. It's either Gomaris or Jamaris. Okay, let's go with Jamaris. What year? It's a G. You have an idea? Uh, seven seventeen to seven seventy four. Okay, so the seven hundreds. Um. He was a, a layman, okay? He was a soldier, and he was married. Okay. And uh, he had a rough marriage, apparently. So he was a nobleman, rich fella. Um, he was successful in business, I guess. And his marriage was arranged by the king, so he was pretty buddy-buddy with the king. But he was like, look, you need to marry this other wealthy woman named uh, Gun Marie. <laughs> okay. Just beautiful name. Okay. Gwen Marie. Um, she was <laughs> high maintenance, let's say. All right. Okay. Okay. So, like, it wasn't like... It took a lot of work. It's not like St. Gomera's got to discern, you know, really well and all these processes. Who's God calling me? He they, was just told by the king. They're just like, here's who you're going to marry. Right. 
let's say let's say she was like a Karen. She sounds like a Karen type. People. T- she had issues coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So Gamaris agreed and marries uh, Gwen Marie. And uh, anyway, he continued to be a soldier and work on his marriage. Um, he had many, many difficulties with her. She tried to easy. murder him? <laughs> uh, they did separate at one point. Kill him in his sleep? So he just like was virtuous in his marriage, even though like he probably had a hard time loving this person who he didn't get to court or date, which exactly. is like, you marry this woman. Exactly. And they had many issues, mostly her unsatisfaction with the marriage, with life. She was just high maintenance. So anyway, they actually separated for a while. Mm-hmm. He became a, a, a hermit during that time, so he just prayed a lot yeah. on his own. Um, and he founded, he co-founded an abbey. He was actually to be, asked to be released from his marriage in a certain sense, um, and he died in the abbey, never reconciling with his wife. And this R- is to me the weird part. Okay. Is that this- we have a saint with a failed marriage. Who's a patron saint. Who's the patron saint of troubled marriages. Troubled marriages. But like the end isn't like a happy story. Where but they, they never divorced. No. Like he stayed faithful. Correct. They and were just, chaste. Right. And the church gave them permission to separate. Um, because it was so dysfunctional. Right. And so I just think it's an interesting story. And I know a lot of folks who are in struggling marriages, some that have separated, some that... Um, and you don't often hear saint stories like this. That is not like the ideal... <laughs> That's pretty... Like, like, the dude couldn't... He couldn't do it. He couldn't work it out. Okay. So, here's the thing. I can't wait till next week to do this. Why? I, I got to do it right now. Okay. Okay. So, just in the weird Catholic stuff segment right now, did you know Adam Conk, mm-hmm. Deacon Presidente, the Catholic patron saint of beards is a bearded woman? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'll read this right Are now. Are you serious? In the 14th century, St. Wigglefortus lived in the Roman province of Galicia, which is approximately the present day um, in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, King had nine daughters, and uh, Wigglefortus, and he, he gave his daughter in a marriage, not wanting to marry her off. She took a vow of virginity and prayed. We have a theme today of like weird marriages, <laughs> and prayed that God make her repulsive to her husband. So she was like, really faithful, didn't want to get married, was forced into a marriage, which, mm-hmm. by the way, like, we're finding out that that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Now, setting today. people up, like, that can work, but they have to be able to, like, court and discern and be like, yeah, we don't really want to do this. But forced into a marriage, that didn't work in the time. So she actually prayed that her appearance, uh, that um, she would become, you know, repulsive to her husband. Can you imagine? <laughs> to be. Uh, God answered her prayers and Wilgoforce sprouted a beard. <laughs> this is weird. Like, this is one of our top. Like, she prayed weird. to be repulsive to her soon to be husband. Her new appearance with a beard and mustache <laughs> effectively ended the engagement. And in his anger over the engagement, ended her father. Um, her father had her crucified. Are you serious? Yes. She was killed? That's so sad. She was martyred. For her faith. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. She celebrated on July 20th, so this is not far from where we're recording. Wigaf- uh, What's her name? Um, <clears throat> it's it's a... Wigafortis? Um, it's a... Uh, w- Wigafortis. Uh, W-I-L-G-E-F-O-R-T-I-S. Wigafortis. So the patron saint of beards oh is goodness. actually a woman. 
<laughs> this is amazing. That is amazing. You think about this. What a discovery. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So poor lady. I mean, yeah. God answers her prayers and then So there there's this image of a painting of her. This is not funny. Of her on a cross with a she was she was but she has a beard. Yeah. For real? For real. Wow. I, I mean, talk about that. like talk about like sainthood in a sense of like I know we're talking about vision. Like I know the type of person God's calling me to be and the mm-hmm. vocation and she as a young lady was set on that course, she was forced out of that mm-hmm. and was so committed to doing what God wanted that, you know, she prayed a ridiculous prayer, which God answered, you know, make me repulsive. Now, I don't think she said specifically how, mm-hmm. right? Cause there were other saints that were made repulsive as sense of sacrifice and like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Saint um, Rita did that. Yeah. I might be getting that wrong. Yeah, St. Rita, because I usually confuse St. Rita with St. Someone else. But, yeah, she literally made herself dirty and nasty so men wouldn't look at her like that. So, but, but, you know, through her prayer, she grew a beard. I I don't know how. It's a miracle. This is weird. The miraculous beard. And not only that, the patron saint of beards, which is hysterical. Is is a woman. Is a woman. Which is awesome. That is awesome. Because I don't have a beard and I can be like, that's cool. But you have a beard and that's cool too. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is uh, marriage is tough, difficult. It's not always a straight line. Sometimes God's will is strange. Like God willed to give this woman a beard and save her from a bad marriage. Yeah. So throughout the Middle Ages, St. Wilgefortis was venerated by people seeking relief from their tribulations. Okay. Mm-hmm. Specifically women wanted to be who who wanted to be dismembered from their abusive di, uh, disencumbered sorry from their abusive husbands yeah so she's patron saint of that so like as we're talking about dysfunctional you know relationships marriages um from abuse and then she's also the patron of facial hair oh my goodness hey it is interesting about marriage you know we i guess our daily experience of what I'm about to say is the annulment process but in both of these examples, we had forced marriages, mm-hmm. not freely chosen. Right. When the church gives an annulment or, or declares a, a marriage null, what it's saying is basically there was something wrong with the consent at the time of marriage. Right. That it it the free consent wasn't able to be given. And it seems like... For various reasons. Right. And it seems like marriage can come about not from this free consent, and it's not good for the people. Like it wasn't, God saved this woman from a bad marriage and gave her martyrdom. So martyrdom was better than the bad marriage, right? <laughs> like for right. her. Yes. But there are plenty of other women that end up in this bad marriage, like the one you, ones you were just talking about, where um, it's not healthy and there's abuse, there's whatever else. Uh, and God wants to set those women or those men free as well. It just doesn't look clean and neat all the time. It's not like the end of the story is always going to be everyone's very happy and reconciled. Sometimes it's messy. Yeah, I mean, I've been, you do this a lot at the tribunal, but I've walked through annulments with people from the other side of just like the process of them going through it and then Mm -hmm. the emotional side, you know, not just like the, hey, no one's ever really wanted to go through the process, but no one who I've personally known who's gone through it has regretted going through it because at the end of it, there, 
there's a real healing process of going through it, mm-hmm. right? Because in the back of their mind, like they they knew that there was something missing at the very beginning. Yeah, and it just got really hairy. Not not to uh, <laughs> Paul tie Paul. it all ta- tie Paul. it all in Paul. <laughs> to our bearded friend Saint Wilberforce. Oh my word! Yeah, I mean no, but but in all truth, right? Like you know, like so yeah, but then it. At the end, it really sets them free. Like they yes. find freedom, yep. you know, to move on and and to to allow God's healing, and as we've been talking about, to find a new vision for their vocation or their life ahead. Right? Like mm-hmm. the, this whole thing has clouded their their heart, their mind, their sight. So, yeah, the process of an annulment and going through this is really clearing the vision. Yes, for them. Well, that's a great way to put it because the church doesn't give annulments as if she had the authority to do that. The church recognizes, in other words, shares the vision. Mm-hmm. The bishop says, this consent didn't actually happen on this date. Right. And it's just a vision of that wedding date that in an official way the church gives, um, but it doesn't change what's there. It just, in an official way, says the church recognizes that this marriage did not take place, and this person is now free to marry again. Um and that is a, a healing vision, like you said, because, like you said, and I've seen this on the pages of many annulments, it just wasn't right from the beginning for whatever reason we went through it. And, uh, you know, it's it's just been terrible from the beginning. I mean, there's good points, bad points. We have kids. Um, but God's will does bring us healing and freedom. And so seeking God's will for uh, St. Gomerus that meant actually leaving his wife and going to the monastery. Like that was God's will for him. Uh, for St. Wigafortis, it was to be martyred by her father because she grew a beard, which is one of the strangest ways to be martyred. The humility of that, right? Like if you're going to pick your martyrdom, like I would say, let me die for the Eucharist. I'll, for my faith in the Eucharist, I'll be eaten by a lion. But for her, she died because she preferred a beard to to marriage. Still the same faith that mm. she pre- but yeah. such a humble martyr. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Paying too much for healthcare and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of healthcare. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith. Saving money through ethical and affordable health care. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you today. Thanks for listening. Okay, so like I finally got you. Like I got you. You on, got me good on a weird Catholic stuff that you didn't know about. Not only did I not know about, but it's very related to me as a bearded man. Yeah. Well, I didn't know about it either, but I found it today, and it just kind of happened with the weird Catholic stuff. I was like, yeah, there's probably a patron saint of beards, <laughs> and then I looked it up, and <laughs> and there there it was. But here's a question about you know merit. Like, okay, so this woman would do anything to like not get married to just some like random guy like that wasn't god's will for her right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah would you do anything for your wife in your vocation 
within reason. Like, would you shave your beard if your wife was like, hey, look, you got to get rid of it? 100%. In fact, the only reason why I have a beard is she likes the beard. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, I would shave it. So you can't be really attached to it. You got (laughs) it. Right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, my beard's for her. Oh, it looks good. It matches you. Yeah, I got to cover up my ugly face with something. Not really. That's why she likes it. I mean, we both have great faces for radio, (laughs) so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) But, yeah. I love the question, though. Are you willing to do anything for your vocation? To keep your vocation. Like, let's flip it on its head. Like, are you willing to do anything to keep your vocation? Now, look, I'm talking about morally reasonable and ethical, right? Like, of course, uh, this is the show. Like, we're not going to... But, but yeah, like, like how, what, to what extent are you willing to go to, to save your marriage? You know, so we're talking about, uh, the other, uh, the guy, I forget his name. Gamaris. Uh, like who, who stayed faithful, Gamaris. chased in, in a marriage that was just horrible that they were set up and it, it, it ended up being, you know, but he still like sought God and we don't know the details, but it sounds like he was a virtuous man throughout the process, right? Well, you, yeah, and you mentioned the key there, sought God. And God's will is what's is the thing worth chasing after. And if and if I'm convicted that God's will is reconciliation and marriage, then I have to give my 100% to that. Yeah. And it would that's the presumed will of God in every marriage. Let's be clear on that, too. The presumed will of God in every marriage is that what God has made, no human being must separate. Sure. But we do know in 2,000 years of church history, there is a time that God has a different path than reconciliation for, and, and for whatever uh, outcome God is calling to, it's, it has to be his doing. It can't be our invention. Like We can't think of a way out ourselves of our marriage. It has to be God. It has to be God. But I, I do think we pose the question is like, to what extent do you go to save your vocation? And I think you should go to any and every extent. Yeah, die for it. To die for your vocation, to to do everything, not only for the other person, but for yourself within yourself. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the hardest part for people is like, oh, this is requiring me to sacrifice, to change, to grow, to heal, to deal, to counsel, to do a lot of the things that uh, I didn't think I was going to need to. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, when two people do that in their vocation, in their marriage. The marriage works like it's usually if one person is or two we're just refusing to grow you know but yeah. yeah but like you said the annulment process like if they got into it really not like what like you said like at the beginning there wasn't full consent mm-hmm. that's what the process kind of kind of does exactly and look when we find ourselves in a certain situation we have to like you said, if I'm having difficulty in my life, my marriage, my vocation, um, let, we talked about St. John Vianney. This is a big thing for priests, even now. I mean, after the council, there was a huge exodus of priests who left their vocation. And then there are residual elements of that today where I, it seems like the percentage of those that become priests and then exit public ministry is higher than it ought to be. I don't mean as a judgmental statement. I'm just right. saying in the same way, the number of marriages that end in the church is higher than it ought to be. Not to not as a judgmental statement for those who are in those situations. No, but, that's just statistics. But rather to say, well, what is our initial vision of these vocations? What vision are we casting to children, adolescents, 
young adults of what these vocations are because maybe what what we're communicating is not being effective. They're not seeing what these things are right. to be able to make a good informed choice about them. Here's the other thing about marriage. I was just thinking about this is that if you woke up tomorrow and your wife had a beard, <laughs> well, it's too late now. Yeah. It's too late. Like you got to just, you got to choose to love. Yeah. Right. And if she liked the beard, like I want to have a beard. I mean, but here's the, here's <laughs> the thing, like to take that a step further is like, when you get married, you don't know what the future holds. Yeah. How that person changes or obviously that person gets sick or, you know, whatever. Like the, like learning to love the, each other even through the changes and, and the sufferings of life. Like that's what, you know, when you go to new marriages and you hear the vows, you're reminded like, oh, whoa. That's right. Those are the vows I made like in sickness and in health till death do us part. Like I'm in this for the long haul no matter what, right? Like – I think the most powerful thing about vocation of marriage is loving another person in their struggle, in their imperfection, right? Like it's mm -hmm. easy to love someone when they're great, when they're at the top of their game. Like yeah. it's easy to love someone when they're just lovable in the moment, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I think the, the the most breakthroughs I've had in my marriage is the times that we've loved each other during the, the rough moments, the the tough times we stuck it out like we put up with each other when we were at our worst you know and you come out of that on the back end because i mean that's the love that jesus talks about it's, it's sacrificial love it's 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 loving when when things are really difficult it's taking up your cross daily like jesus never said living as a disciple would be easy in fact he said the opposite right <laughs> it would be it will be difficult right um but in the end, it's either a quick martyrdom or a slow martyrdom. But every Christian life is a martyrdom. Yeah. It's just quick or slow. And we should, our marriages should be a slow martyrdom, but a sweet one. <clears throat> you know, I should pray in faith, though, like like St. Wigglefortis. Beard me, Jesus. Like, so I, I, I don't think I can grow a full beard. Like, just a big, you know, like, beard. It just, maybe I should, like, pray. You should pray if you want one. Um and also stick to it. Stick to it. Let it grow for like three months before you even touch it. Really? Yeah. You'll be surprised at mm. what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got to believe and grow it. Well, I do think that there is a lesson of just praying with such faith that God will do something, but we don't know what he'll do. Yeah. Like she prayed with great faith for this vision for her vocation. And she didn't know how God was going to come through. Probably her her thought wasn't like, hey, beard and mm -hmm. mustache. See, that brings up a thought in me that you probably didn't intend to bring up by saying that. But I think we all need to think about this. We can often get in the way of God's will by telling someone what God's will is mm -hmm. in a canned way. Like, well, obviously God wants you to do this. right? You're in this situation, especially if it's a struggling marriage. Or someone trying to find their vocation, they're 28 and they, they still haven't found it, or whatever, to just say, well, obviously God wants you to do this, to not acknowledge the mystery of the unique vocation this person has in this situation, we can get in the way of God's will. Yeah. Because we don't know what God wants for people. Right. Right? Like, we, we, can know thing, we can say things we know for sure, like God doesn't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to give up on him, that God doesn't want you to stop praying. We know that for sure. But as far as specific vocation decisions, we don't know. 
No, not only that, like we can get in the way of God answering our prayers because in a sense of like answer, but like, Oh God, like would do it this way. Right. Right. And, and, and God might have a better idea. It's true. <laughs> a better plan. So to just to pray fervently in faith that God will provide and do the how, yes, certainly we can be specific in our prayer requests, but like how God comes through is not for our doing. It's for his. Mm-hmm. If, when, and where, like, and how, you know, like that, you know, she prayed a specific prayer, uh, she, but she, God came through. It wasn't exactly probably what she thought. Right. Right. Well, and I, I guess 80% of the church, 80% of Christian disciples are going to have quote unquote typical story in the sense of I went to college or I got out of high school, whatever. I met this woman. I met this man. We got married. We have kids we're struggling. You know, we struggle with normal struggles and raising families. That's probably 80% of the Catholic story, right? Mm-hmm. But there's 10% out there that that's not, that's not their story. It's not right. And, uh, Today I hear a lot from that 10% about how difficult it is to exist in the church because everything's geared toward the normal path, you know? Everybody's story is different, and that's the beauty of it. But here's the lesson. Grow a beard for your marriage or <laughs> shave it for your marriage, whatever you got to do yeah, in a holy way for your vocation. I, and I say this to priests too, is do whatever you can to save your vocation. Yeah. Like whatever, like whatever, you know. This is the model of Jesus is like he did whatever he could to save us. Like the, he he bore no expense. Like he didn't hold back. Like when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't save any part of himself. Like he, he didn't he didn't reserve he didn't reserve anything. He gave he gave it all. He gave everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what Jesus asks of us is to give all of ourselves, total abandonment, our whole heart to him. Uh, and and to others certainly we have limitations because we're broken, we're sinful, we're human, but that's the journey. Like that, like that's the broken journey that we are all traveling in, in this imperfect world is, is like the vision that St. John Vianney has. Like, I'm, I know where I got to go. I'm willing to be tutored. Like here's a saint who, who like got kicked out and was like tutored. Yeah. You know? Yeah. To the point where like, like it took him a long time, you know? And then and he, he, but he knew, like, so, like, he, he was part of the ten percent. Eighty percent of seminarians are going to get this stuff pretty easily, you know. Like, I mean, they're a struggle, normal seminarian struggles, but they're right. going to get their Latin down. They're going to get theology, philosophy, and graduate, and they'll move on, and go to a parish. Right. John Vianney was one of the ten percent that couldn't do it. He was struggled hard. Yeah, and you know what? Common denominator with most saints that I read about, and you read about, is that they they faced a lot of adversity. Yeah. And God pulled them through. And they were witnesses to that, and that 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 trial in the fire is what made them, you know, amazing saints that we can look at in our own life. But just so people know that I know math, I get that eighty and ten doesn't make a hundred, because mm. I've been saying that eighty percent was just normal story, and ten percent that it isn't. Where's the other ten? Well, those are the ones that just give up. They just quit. <laughs> right. Right. I'm talking about the ten percent that aren't going to quit on God's will. Gotcha. Um, but then there's another ten percent when things get tough, when the seminary mm-hmm. Latin is too hard. Like, well, forget this, and then they just yeah. abandon God's will. Or their marriage is too tough. Right. And they don't want it, so they just abandon it. I appreciate your math. Yeah. It 
it works for you. So that's 80 plus 10 plus 10, that's 100. It is 100. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's good. That's good. It's, cl- <laughs> it's classical math. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 That's good. Classical math. Classical math. <laughs> so anyway, thanks everyone for uh, listening into the show, being a part of it. Um, lots of surprises in the show. Feel free to share the show on the podcast. Lots and, of surprises. Uh, there were lots of surprises. I mean, you know, I can make a plan for the show and half of it just doesn't come to fruition. This show is a 10 percenter. It is. We're, we're like, <laughs> it's not a straight line. <laughs> no, it is definitely not a straight line. So thanks for being a part of the show, and we're looking forward to hearing from our friends down under. Uh, we need answers. <laughs> um, and we'll be back uh, next week. God bless. <laughs>